Thank you for listening to this artist talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, Kate Karooks explains what inspired her two paintings, The Island and Uncirculated, on display in Galleries 15 and 17. These works are part of the 2016 Guildhouse Collections Project. Hi everyone, my name is Lee Robb. I'm the Curator of Contemporary Art here at the Art Gallery of South Australia. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you all here tonight on this wintry Friday evening to celebrate the launch of a project, um, the Collections Project, which is um, born out of an incredible collaboration with the Guildhouse, which the Art Gallery is very, very pleased to support, and to present um, Kate Crooks, to introduce Kate Crooks, and also to talk through two of her works that she's made over the last few months in response to the collection. I'd just like to acknowledge that we're all joined here and meeting here on Ghana land and to pay our respects to elders past and present and to acknowledge that this was and always will be Aboriginal land. I will just hand you over. We're very lucky to be joined this evening by Katrine Hilliard, um, the MP for Raynal, and who's just going to say a few words. So thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much, Lee. Beautiful. Thank you very much for that introduction. Um, as was said, my name is Katrine Hilliard and I have the great privilege of being a member for Raynell in Adelaide's beautiful southern suburbs and also of being the Assistant Minister to our Premier, Jay Weatherall. I'm really happy to be here with you tonight and also to be here representing Minister Jack Snelling, Minister for the Arts, who has asked me to pass on his very best wishes for tonight's um, collections project launch as well. I also wanted to start by acknowledging that the land we gather on is the land of the Ghana people and by paying our deep and collective respects to Ghana elders past and present and also to Ghana future leaders as well. It's my privilege to be here tonight to help welcome you here this evening as part of the Art Gallery of South Australia's First Friday event. Tonight we do celebrate the work of fabulous Adelaide-based emerging artist Kate Karutz, who tonight will be in conversation with Lee Robb, curator of contemporary art here at the gallery. I've had um, the great pleasure of being able to have a look at Kate's work just on her website and now live here tonight, um, and I think that there is something both irreverent and haunting about her work and that there is so much beauty in it also. I understand that Kate has contributed two works to the project which explore the themes of excess, fantasy and the sublime. I think we're so lucky to live in a state where important institutions like our Art Gallery of South Australia and the wonderful Guildhouse, which is currently celebrating 50 years, allow an artist like Kate to explore, research and create in such a rich and rewarding setting. Artists like the incredibly talented Kate provide such an important exploration and reflection of many different aspects of life and their work, your work, Kate, um, absolutely makes our community richer, stronger and more reflective. I wanted to wish everybody involved in the Collections Project the very best. And I also wanted to say thank you very much to the Guildhouse, the Art Gallery of South Australia and all of the organisations and individuals that have been involved in this launch, but also for your absolutely fantastic and enduring support for the arts here in South Australia. Thank you. Thank you.
Okay, if we sit down, can everyone see us? Not at all. You can hear us, so it doesn't matter. You can, you can look at the art behind us. Is that working? Yes. <laughs> Great. So, um, many of you will, have this, you will have been to a few different iterations of the wonderful collaboration with the Guildhouse, which involves artists having sort of unprecedented access uh, to the collection, both um, the public display, but also behind the scenes and also accessing the library and um, some of the hidden recesses of the collection. So, um, on pretty much in the first week that I started here, a couple of months ago, I was introduced to Kate and, um, and, and we started discussing um, the project and uh, it, it's been a really wonderful way for both of us to connect and um, discover the collection and learn about the collection. So Kate Karooks, I think um, she's supported by a huge amount of friends and colleagues here tonight, so she needs little introduction, I think, but um, Kate, is a graduate from the Adelaide Central um, School of Art and, um, and she for many years was focused on a very focused study in painting. After graduating, along with a couple of colleagues, a couple of friends, started Mint Studios, a space for emerging artists to keep supporting each other and making work after graduating. So it's been in that environment, both rich in an academic study of painting, but also in a quite a collegiate environment that um, Kate has been working. So I'm going to hand over to Kate for a little bit to talk about some of the starting points in terms of, you know, where do you begin in a project like this? You know, the Art Gallery of South Australia has over 46,000 works of art. Um, only um, a certain amount of percentage is on display, but it's also growing up in Adelaide, you've been coming here since you were a child. So, you know, it's quite a daunting thing, isn't it, as a young artist to face the collection and know where to begin. Yeah. I'm going to hand over to Kate. Yeah. Um I've got my little Britney Spears mic. Um, yeah, it was a huge um, challenge to start in such a storied and you know, rich history of this institution. There's so much to look at. And because my original proposal was to look at the little scene or the um, lesser seen details of the collection, that obviously only comes about through time, through carefully looking at things and sort of discovering you know, small instances or details that you might not otherwise get to see if you're just glancing or sort of passing by. Um, so, unfortunately, I didn't have the thousands of years it would take to carefully examine every work that we have here, although I would love to. Um, so my first port of call was to look at the works that the public can't see at the moment, so the works that are sort of stored or that can't be displayed for, you know, a variety of reasons. Um, so that was really exciting, getting the access to, you know, behind the scenes of the gallery and getting to see, you know, the works that are sort of slumbering, I guess, that aren't being um, interacted with by the public, but still obviously exist um, as art, but aren't seen. So that sort of interesting uh, paradox, I guess. Uh, so I started looking at the works that you don't see, and then I started looking at um, more, I guess, abstract notions of the little scene or details. Um, so I started listening to stories from the gallery and from people that work at the gallery um, about their experiences here and, you know, sort of, I guess, quirky instances or interesting things that people might not get to know on just a regular visit. Um, so visions, apparitions, um, the history of the building, parts that have been, you know, plastered over, parts that used to be used for different things, 
um, just the shifting history of the building and all these amazing little stories and um, little colliding moments um, that happen here that people don't get to hear about that much. Uh, so, yeah, that's basically where I started. And then it was just Because looking... you heard quite a few um, ghost stories. Yes. Um, from, from some of the guards. In this gallery as well. Um, there's supposedly Which I think some you have to share now. haunted paintings. Apparently, um, someone has said that the painting on that wall over there of the lady doing her embroidery is, um, gives off a spiritual energy or something dark. Uh, so it's been pointed out to me that they're actually in prison, that there's bars on the window. So supposedly, if there are any ghosts in this gallery, it is coming from that painting, is what I've heard. Um, but yeah. you were also quite interested in certain paintings in the collection which um, are double paintings or that they actually have a second painting yeah. on, the, on the verso, so the yeah. reverse painting. So it was Lisa Slade that first mentioned verso paintings to me in one of our earlier meetings and it instantly um, sort of piqued my interest. So verso paintings are the paintings that are on, as you said, the reverse of a, another painting. So kind of like the B side, I guess, of the artwork and we have a few of those in our collection. Um, so, not even having to see the works per se, but just kind of knowing that they existed here and that they're these hidden images um, that I wouldn't have even known were here. Um, just sort of knowing that they exist, that there are these secrets um, that lie beneath the works that we can see on the surface was really interesting to me. So that also led you to an interest in anamorphic painting, which is actually hiding a painting within a painting through a certain um, perspectival illusion. Yeah, so it's basically a form of forced perspective or distorted perspective that was popularised in the 1500s. So one of the most famous examples is Hans Holbein, the Younger's um, The Ambassadors, which is a giant painting, and there's a distorted smear at the bottom of the painting, and if you look at it from a very um, acute angle on the side, it reforms into a perfectly painted skull. So it's this idea of a treasure hunt within image that simply looking at it um, at face value wasn't enough to sort of decipher what was in the work and that there's all these symbolic things that can be hidden um, on a flat surface was really interesting to me. So, yeah. And that sort of connects with the idea of a treasure hunt. And so in the developing different works, you did a lot of studies um, almost you know, anatomical studies, extraordinary studies. I got to be privy to all of the, the, um, the working drawings and, um, and, and early paintings that Kate was making in the lead-up to this show. And, um, and I guess in that, uh, you know, looking very closely, just before you're about to, you know, commit an idea to painting and you're also thinking of what subject matter you would you would translate into an anamorphic painting, you came across something quite particular and quite interesting. Yeah, so I had been playing around with the idea of anamorphic painting and sort of trying to pick out interesting details in images and sculptures and works from all the collections that we have on display here and nothing sort of felt quite right, nothing made sense as an anamorphic work, it didn't sort of connect to the um, the concept of it. And then as I was walking through the gallery one day, I looked into a glass um, case that we have, and there was a sort of, you know, small coin, and it was a 1930 penny. And I was instantly just like, oh my God, I found it. Like, I've found the penny. I've, I've found my treasure. Um, 
And the 1930 penny is, um, is one of the rarest and most valuable pennies in the world, actually. And there's only six that were ever made as, um, as proofs, which meant that they never went into circulation. There are three of them um, that are in public collections. One is in the British Museum, the other is in the Museum of Melbourne, and the third one is here at the Art Gallery of South Australia. The other three are in private collections. So in thinking about that, you imagined that perhaps one of those other three in private collections could be in your grandmother's collection, there's a who huge, was a great coin collector. Yeah, a huge mythology um, surrounding the 1930 penny. A lot of people you know, are really interested in it. Well, people who are interested in the coins, I guess. Uh, so a certain kind of people are interested in it. But it's a very famous coin. It's one of the sort of most um, sought after because of this idea that they were never meant to be made in the first place. So when I was a child, when I was about seven or eight, I had this idea that my grandma had this big jar of coins that, you know, in my eight-year-old mind, statistically, it would have to be in there. The penny would be in there because that many coins has just got to be. So instead of looking for the coin or kind of, you know, trying to make it happen in any real way, I spent about a month every lunchtime planning what I was going to do with the money, which at the time I understood to be about $30,000. And that was all the money in the world to me. So I was like, I'll buy a house, I'll buy an island, I'll take you, I won't take you, I'll take you. Like, I was planning my whole life around this treasure that I was, you know, absolutely certain Dest I was going to find. Destined to yeah. find. So when I saw it for the first time, when I actually saw the penny with my own eyes for the first time, I was just like, oh, finally, it's there, it's mine, like... The sense of possession of it, like, oh, you've been keeping it safe for me, but now that's mine. But it, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of beautiful, um, I guess, or a happy accident, okay. or wonderful chance encounter, just at that moment before, you know, you were thinking about quite a lot of different ideas, and and then literally stumbled upon this penny, and the penny. You know, there's so many great puns, you know, the, you know, when the penny drops or, you know, being able to see both sides of the coin or, you know, and, and coins and islands are both, you know, um, incredibly, uh, I guess, symbolic or have huge creative potential and, um, and the idea of value and value in art and how a collection um, comes to be, to be valuable or a thing becomes valued. Um, I think what was really interesting was how then the finding of the coin was sort of a visual touchstone which opened up this entire, I guess, sort of a flood of images about this fictional island, which you can see behind us. And what's fascinating um, about Kate's practice is that often when she's making um, or working towards paintings, there um, she creates a scale model. And so literally Kate was mapping, we sort of became a cartographer of her own memory, of her own, of her own um, history, and, and tried to map um, the shape, the mass, and um, I guess the, you know, the image of the island. And actually, you, you went about and, uh, yeah, you made, a, you made a model. Yeah. So the work is behind us here on the wall, the island. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about, I guess, some of the, the, the iconography yeah. within it or the, the resonance of some of the... Of, my, of Katie Island, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. I, it was one like frenzied night. I was just so excited by this idea of sort of opening up this project because it had been a lot more a representation of what I'd been doing before and I was quite sort of hemmed in in my thinking of what a collections project could be. So once I was sort of freed up to think a bit more um, outside the box in terms of, you know, what the collection could mean to me, I was just, you know, filled with this energy. So I spent one night in the studio and I created this island out of everything that I just had with me. And luckily I am the kind of person who buys miniature trees and little figurines from train shops. 
So and, and you're a hoarder and you used to I make terrariums and utopic cardboard cities when yes, you were little. Yes, that yeah. frustrated my mum no end because I'd fill our room with like, you know, milk carton cities and I made these little terrariums that would die instantly because I didn't understand how trees worked and that you can't just like stick tiny bits of them in other bits. Um, but yeah, so I used whatever I had on hand and so the centrepiece of the island is a Hungarian doll that my grandma gave me um, and told me it was an heirloom. So she was sitting in a box. I didn't decapitate her or anything. Um, so she was sitting in the center of the island as this kind of, you know, looming, I don't know, icon, um, tea head thing. And then on her head is a coin, a large $5 coin that my grandpa gave me from my birth year that he had hoped would appreciate in value, and it's now worth $20. So it's quadrupled in value. It's gone up. Thanks, Grandpa. Um, yeah, and I was never allowed to spend it, and it was like, you know, this beautiful big coin that I was never allowed to do anything with, so it's sort of, you know, this coveted thing, and it's got value, but then I can't actually do anything with it. But um, it's also something that's not actually in circulation, because it's a commemorative coin. Yeah, it's a commemorative, right? yeah. yeah. I think it would still be League of Ten, or, yeah. well, I'll test it one day. Um, but now, obviously, it's got a different kind of value to me, um, being from my family. And, yeah, so then I just started adding these little symbolic things that were sort of important to me. So part of the island is made up of fool's gold, which I've investigated before as a material that sort of speaks about this longing for value or riches, but sort of, you know, it's this cheapness as well. Um, and then there's a, a little cowgirl figurine on the, on the beach that is my, my stand-in. She is my surrogate. And her little electric tea light candle fire that she warms herself by. Um, yeah, so basically I spent a night just, you know, in this frenzied construction of this space and it just came together really organically. It felt like it was the island that was always meant to exist, so maybe it is somewhere. Yeah, well, I think um, islands um, historically both in terms of uh, uh, the history of literature but also um, artistic practice have been um, such a sort of fertile place from H.G. Um, Wells' The Island of Dr. Moreau mm -hmm. to Lord of the Flies um, to um, Adolfo Boyo Casares' Island of um, the Invention of Morel through to even contemporary artists like Charles Avery who mm -hmm. we've, we've discussed who imagines his own island called Onomatopoeia which he has for over a decade been creating every single thing he draws and everything he defines is part of this island. So to be able to create a sort of, you know, an archipelago or this, um, you know, this, this mass which you have control over, mm. you know, um, is, is, is also something that's really, you know, incredibly interesting because you can sort of define... Dictate the, it. And, and also it can grow in a different way because you can just stick trees wherever you want. Mm. <laughs> and they don't die. Um, yeah, it's... It's really interesting, this idea of like this total control, which I think would be very appealing to eight-year-old Katie, having control over an entire island and creating my own world in my image. Um, but also that sort of, you know, you, a lot of the references you spoke about have an element of darkness to them or there's something sinister about somewhere that's quite isolated. So I sort of brought that into the painting as well because I think that a lot of things that are appealing in childhood are simultaneously quite frightening. Like, you know, the largeness of things is fascinating but it's also very overwhelming when you're a kid so um yeah little eyes peeking out of trees and sort of you know dark light and that sort of thing that's meant to give that sort of sense of foreboding as well as welcoming yeah so a place where the normal rules don't apply or where things unravel um but also where um the infinite is possible so it's a space of pure potential which is really interesting 
There's a second work, um, a sister work, or I guess um, I'd like to think of it as a distant diptych, which is in um, Gallery 17, so as you head down the stairs. So after this, um, please go and have a look at, um, at the work which features the penny, um, and uh, a penny in anamorphic um, perspective, which you were really interested in, in, in showing it in that way because you wanted to share that experience of discovery, both, I guess, that sort of historic um, memory of that, but also um, as, you know, in the whole process of making these works. Yeah. Um, I think the anamorph, as soon as I saw the penny, it made sense to me to use that as the image that would be distorted because it is it's something that can transfer that immediate sensation that I had of you know, that, that moment when you find the treasure you've been looking for. So that sort of aha moment or that like heart skip that you have when you see the thing for the first time. Um, so when you look at the, the image that's distorted from the front from a very acute angle, it should reform back into the shape of a pen and you'll be able to read the writing. So for, even though you know it's there and even though it's the same for everyone in a way, everyone should have that moment of, oh, I found it, like this is what it's meant to look like, that kind of, I don't know, magic instant of discovery. So I think it's, it's the perfect marriage for me of like a subject matter and the technique that I can use to, to express that. So, and there's a second one. So there's one that people can see quite easily and then there's a second more distorted penny that goes vertically. Which um, is the back of the penny. Back of the yeah. penny, so it's the two sides of the coin um, that you would have to kind of get right down on your knees underneath the canvas to see. So maybe some very short children will get to see that one. But <laughs> it's that idea that you, you can't see the whole image at once, that there's never a point where you get all the information that you get, all the treasure at once, you kind of constantly have to seek and, and, and discover you have to it. sort of physically manoeuvre around yeah. it to discover the work. And so even though on the surface you can see both sides of the coin at once, you actually can't see both sides of the coin at once because you have to, you know, manoeuvre your way around to, and into these awkward poses or, you know, to under, have that experience of sort of optical dilation or that moment of, um, of understanding um, and that aha moment. So I think we're at um, six, nearly at 6.30. Um, so I just wanted to, should I open it up to just one or two questions? If you want, but that's okay. No one ever wants questions. I know, there's, <laughs> there's this sort of beautiful silence. Um, well, in the absence of questions, I might add that with the anamorphic work, with the penny, um, you sort of find your own your own point of discovery where it's like, oh, that's perfect for me. But it's it works really well. Anamorphic illusions work really well through lenses. So if you actually use a, a phone or a camera, you can kind of get another sense of the of the illusion because I think in a way, sort of technology is a bit dumber than our eyes, so it kind of flattens it. So that's another fun way to sort of explore the work and discover it is to actually use you know that kind of filter between you and the painting. So if you want to give that a go, then that might work for you. <laughs> Great. So um, on that note, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much to Kate. It's thank been you. such a pleasure to work with, work with Kate. And also thank you to Peter Mount and all of our colleagues at the Guildhouse for um, this sort of wonderful collaboration. And it's a, really, it's a really important way for contemporary artists and for local artists to be able to connect with the collection, but also to use it as a jumping off point to develop another part mm -hmm. of your practice or to pursue ideas that have, um, you know, that that have, you know, uh, I guess they've been hidden somewhere mm. or, or that they've been ripe, ripe for the picking. So it's been a sort of wonderful journey through the collection and also getting to know Kate's practice. And so I'm really delighted to 
launch it tonight and to, to, um, for you to all see Kate's work. Quite a daunting thing to have your work <laughs> in the Art Gallery of South Australia at the age of 26. Um, that's so cool. that's an achievement in itself. So well I'd done. I'd just like to thank... Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Um, Thanks. Um, I'd just also like to extend my thanks to Guildhouse, to the Art Gallery, to Lee, to Lisa, to everyone that has been supportive during this project. It's been absolutely amazing and, yeah, it's still a bit surreal. So thank you so much to everyone. It's an incredible program. So enjoy your night. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.